The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Good morning, Doxa Church. <laughs> Today's scripture reading will be coming out of Romans 6, chapter 1 through 11. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we, who died to sin, still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death from the dead by the glory of the Father, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive in God, in Christ Jesus. This has been the reading of God's word. You may be seated. So we're in uh, the book of Romans. And uh, what we've been looking at is that the the book of Romans is about the gospel. And I I hope in in a lot of ways, actually in every way, I I hope that uh, every Sunday as we gather, that we are about the gospel. In fact, I can tell you one thing. If if the Lord keeps me faithful and keeps us faithful as elders and leaders here at Doxa, I can promise you one thing. I I don't know what we will look like five years from now, but here's what we're gonna be about every Sunday and every week as we gather. We're gonna be about Jesus and about the gospel, which is a story of who, the gospel is the story of who Jesus is and what he did on our behalf. That's the gospel. And if you get tired of hearing that every week, then Man, keep on coming because I pray that the gospel breaks through the hardest parts of your heart and my heart so that we don't get tired of hearing about Jesus and about the gospel. The gospel describes, and this is what the book of Romans describes, the, the great and the deepest problems that we have as human beings. What are the greatest and deepest problems that we have as human beings? And it describes the answer to that problem. And last week we saw it in, uh, in uh, our passage last week at the end of chapter five, it talked about how every single one of us, here's the problem with humanity, every single one of us are born. That's the problem with humanity. Now, the problem with humanity is you and me, that you and I are broken and that we are sinful and that we can't put our stuff together because we inherited from our great, great grandfather, Adam, has been passed down to us all the way down. And we, have, we are, it says, because of Adam's sin, death and condemnation has been passed down to every single one of us. We are all trapped or faded in sin and in death and in condemnation in Adam, just by the very fact that we breathe and are alive. It says, here, here's what that means. 
means, it means that both by nature and by choice, you and I are sinners and enemies against God. And we are trapped in the sin and transgression and death and condemnation of Adam. And in case you think that's unfair, like it's just the way that it works. And Adam was the best that we had to offer. He was made in the image of God. He walked and talked with God in the garden. He was perfect. He was made the image of God. He lived on a perfect earth. He had a job given by God. He had an amazing wife that they lived in perfect unity and harmony together. And yet still the tempter came and deceived Eve and Adam sinned and that we all fell inside our representative Adam. And that's been passed down to us from generation after generation after generation. Our sin just has continually cascaded upon itself. But... Jesus comes along and he, just as Adam, from his one sin, he passes down sin and death and condemnation to us all. Jesus comes in and by his great act of obedience to God, his great act of living a perfect life and dying a death for you and I, by doing that, he passes down life to all who receive it in Christ. So that just as you can't work your way out of the lineage of Adam, you can't, if you're a believer, work your way out of or into the line of Christ. You only have to receive his work offered free. It described in that passage as a free gift offered to you and to me. And all that we have to do is to receive that gift. And all of a sudden we find ourselves in the line of Adam. And instead of death and sin and condemnation, we have life and newness and joy in him. So Paul kind of rounds the the curve here at beginning of chapter six. And and he he asks this question. He says, all right, so so here's, here's the question that should bring us. If salvation is offered to us as sinful human beings as a totally free gift, Adam sinned and we all fell and Jesus his obedience, his work on the cross, we receive it and we find newness of life. Now, if, if that's true, if it's offered to us free of charge, unconditional, by somebody else, doesn't, doesn't that sort of make you think about that? Like, if I have done, if Adam did this, this sin and that's been passed down to me and I sin over and over and over again and I just, my life has had many transgressions, many trespasses piled up on one on top of each other and yet Jesus comes and says, hey, through me, through my death on your behalf, you just receive this free gift I'm offering and you can have newness of life. Your, your, your slate can be wiped clean. Then why would I ever change anything that I do? Why would I even act any differently going forward? And that's what he says at the beginning of chapter six. He says, what shall we say then? Verse one, are we to continue in sin that grace may at the end of the prior chapter, grace through Christ abounded all the more. So Paul says, like, if that's true, then will we just keep on sinning so God's grace can just abound even more to us? And Jesus, like, his death can mean even more? And he says, no, verse two, by no means, How can we who died to sin still live in it? Here's what he's saying. Here's what we're going to look at today. That the great truth that Jesus' death and resurrection is my death and resurrection is the most powerful truth in the world. You see, truth always has an effect on us. Uh, Truth always has some sort of, a real truth 
has some sort of effect. So I'm driving around and I'm hungry, so therefore I'm gonna pull over and get something to eat. Or I see that it's raining outside and so I'm gonna take my umbrella. Or my kids are yelling and screaming in the next room, so I'm gonna go into the room and I'm gonna tell them to be quiet. Like certain truths produce certain reactions and certain changes, certain actions or responses from us. And the great truths produce greater responses. And here's what he's saying. That the truth that Jesus' death and resurrection can be your death and resurrection is the greatest truth in the world. And it changes everything about us. See, here's what he's saying. He said the problem that we had with us is that we had this old nature that we were enslaved to sin. Look at verses six and seven of chapter six when he describes the condition that we were in as human beings. He says, we know that our old self, that's uh, pre-conversion, our old self was crucified with him or with Christ in order that the body of sin that is our body that is enslaved to sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. He says the problem that we have as human beings is that we, in this old nature, the nature that we inherit from Adam, we are by nature enslaved to sin. And that means that we are serving a master. See, here's the truth about human beings. We are always serving a master. Now, we don't like to think about that as Americans. We don't like to think about that as Westerners. We like to think that we are free to choose our own way, that our path is always opened up before us and I can, I'm the master of my own domain and whatever decisions I make determine who I'm gonna be tomorrow and a decade from now and for my whole lifetime that what I decide is what, I, is what I'm gonna become. I get to, I'm the master of myself, but the truth is none of us are masters of ourselves. We are all enslaved to something. And, and, and here's the thing, you may not feel like you're enslaved. You're like, man, I, I'm, I'm pretty free. I, I, I get to choose whatever I wanna do. And, but here's the question. What is it that happens that if it happens, it totally blows you out of the water, it breaks you down? It, so if, if, you are, if you're at work and you're having a good day and, and somebody says, hey, uh, I need to tell you, you didn't do this right. Or somebody says, uh, hey, you okay? You, you don't look like yourself today. Uh, um, and all of a sudden you start to feel like, oh, okay. So, so you're saying like, I didn't do a good job. And all of a sudden the rest of your day is broken down because you place your value and your significance on how good a job that you're doing. And all of a sudden your day is crushed. You don't care. I mean, you're, you're just brought down into the doldrums because you're not performing well. You know what happens then? It's showing that you are a slave to your performance. Or somebody says, hey, you look tired today. Are you okay? You don't, you don't look very good today. Or, or you look in the mirror and all of a sudden it doesn't seem like your hair's right or you're looking right. You'd see bags in your eyes or you realize like, man, I am looking 42 year olds to 42 years old today. And you, and you leave and you walk away from the mirror and you are broken down. Why are you broken down? You don't look any different really than you did before you look in the mirror. You don't feel any different than before you look in the mirror. You're broken down because you place your faith in, in who you are, your value, your 
significance in your appearance. And so when people look at you and you don't, you don't think you look good in their eyes or you don't look good in your own eyes, all of a sudden your value is broken down and you are laid low because you are a slave to your image in other people's minds. If your children aren't being the way that they should be or your, your relationship with your spouse or your significant other isn't working out, if people aren't liking your posts or whatever the thing may be, it may sound silly. The thing, here's the thing. It may sound very, what lays you low and what breaks you down may sound very silly to the other people in this room. But mine would sound silly to you as well. But the things that break us, the things that lay us low expose who we're truly enslaved to. You see, none of us are masters of our own domain. We are all enslaved to sin, to a master other than God. We find our image. Instead of, see, remember, we are made in the image of God as human beings. And when we're not looking to God to get our image and our value and our significance, we will find it from somewhere else. They will always fail us. But here's the thing. We are enslaved to them and we can't get out of it. It's so difficult to change yourself, isn't it? And sometimes like you have one bad habit, one thing, and you like you break free of it, but you actually just become enslaved to a different one. The problem with us as human beings is that we are all enslaved to something. We all serve a master. We are all enslaved to sin and it's passed down to us. It is an old nature, it's a nature that's according to our father, Adam. But... It says, why would we continue? Why would we not continue to sin that grace may abound? By no means, verse two, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus are with him by baptism and death in order that walk in newness of life? For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we had died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will, death, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. See, our problem is that we are enslaved to our old nature inherited from our great, great grandfather, Adam. But here's the good news of the gospel, that he died the death of a sinner. And here's what that means. He did not owe the death of a sinner because he was not a sinner. And so therefore, his death is applied to those who are in Christ. Here's what that means. It means that the victory that Christ won over sin and death, death, died to those of us who place our faith and trust in him in his death on our behalf. The glory of Christ's life and his death becomes our glory as believers. Here's what that's saying. It's saying that if you are a Christian, you are united to Christ in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection. That his death becomes your death and his life becomes your life in exchange. 
his death that is, that is the due, this, the due for sin is now applied to you who are found in Christ. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that when you become a believer, when you hear the story of who Jesus is and what he did, and you understand that you are a sinner in need of a savior, that, that you owe to God a death for the penalty for your sin inherited from Adam and the sins that you have committed. When you realize that and you hear the news that Jesus Christ offers his death on your behalf to be applied to you, you and you become a Christian and the Holy Spirit is given to you, you place your faith and trust in him and then you are baptized, symbolizing and signifying that you are united with him, that you are actually and truly united with Christ in his death, burial and resurrection. When you are become a believer and you are baptized, when he says that... Um, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? He's the picture there is of that when we become believers, the thing that signifies our faith that has occurred inside our soul is we are baptized. That means that we are taken and we are immersed. Some of you were had different, a different form. That's all right. But then we're just talking about the, the way of someone out here. It says that you are become a believer. You are immersed in the waters. You're raised again. And what that shows is that you died with Christ. Your burial in the waters is not your death. It is signifying that you were united with Christ in his death. And we don't know exactly how that works, but we know that that's what he is saying. That Christ's death is your death. And his resurrection, therefore, is your resurrection to new life. You are now united to Christ. Hear that. If you're a believer in Christ, you're united with Christ. His death his life, his record becomes yours. He's exchanged it to himself, yours for him, and he's taken his and given it to you. When we're baptized, it signifies something that has happened. It's sort of like a wedding ring. Uh, the wedding ceremony is what marries two people together, but baptism is the ring that's placed on the finger, signifying and showing that this has happened. It's declaring it for the whole world. Baptism, here's how, it, how, here's how it works. Jesus historically died and was resurrected. That accomplished salvation. There's so much grace poured out there to will do that is greater than this, the death of Christ to cover. His death and his resurrection accomplished salvation for all those who believe. And whenever you hear the gospel and you place your faith in Christ, that work that was accomplished in Christ is then applied to you by faith in your conversion. And then whenever you are the enter the baptismal waters, it signifies what was accomplished by Christ it was applied to you in your conversion and it is signified in the waters of baptism. You are united to Christ. His death and his resurrection becomes your death and your resurrection and our conversion and baptism shows it. 
Here's what that means. That means to every person in this room who is a believer in Christ, who has placed their faith in the work of Christ that accomplishes salvation, his death and his resurrection, and has experienced it applied to them, here's what it means. It means that you are no longer under any condemnation. Because here's what happened. Jesus died a death that he didn't deserve, and that is put on our record, and it covers everything that you and I have done. Look, you have done some terrible things in your life. And I've done some terrible things in, our li- in my life. Things that I'm ashamed of. Things I would not want you guys to know about. Things that you don't want me to know about. There's some of us in here who have deep roots of shame because of things that we have done or things that have been, have, that have been done to us. And condemnation pours upon you because of the things that you've done. Shame pours upon you. I don't deserve to be a Christian. I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve anybody to love me. And so some of you, you are continually trying to submarine the relationships that you're in because you don't think that you're worthy of people's love and affection because of things that you have done or things that have been done to you in your past. You think that you are broken and you think that you are marred. But if you are in Christ... There is no condemnation for you because Jesus Christ has no condemnation that's able to stick to him. He has nothing, no amount of shame can stick to him and that is the same for you if you're in Christ. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter what you deserve. If you are in Christ, you don't get what you deserve. And that's the crazy thing about salvation is that you don't get what you deserve. It is offered to you and me as a free gift. You send your way into death and condemnation and yet somebody else, Christ came in and saved you. He righteoused you. I just turned that to a verb. He righteoused you out of sin and condemnation and death and no shame can be applied to you. It cannot stick to you because it can't stick to Christ. Not because you are suddenly a better person. Not because you don't remember what things have been done to you and that mars your thinking. That's still there. Power of Christ's death and resurrection on your behalf. No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So when you hear the whispers of Satan, when you hear the whispers of friends and family who are whispering to you, you're not good enough. You are marred, you are broken. When those things happen that are usually a trigger that would bring you down lower, you remember, yes, you are right, Satan, that is exactly who I am, that is exactly what I have done, but the greater thing is the grace of Christ applied to me through his death and through his burial and through his resurrection. Sin has no condemnation to the believer. You know what else it doesn't have, it says here? It doesn't have any control over the believer. You are no longer enslaved to sin. You see, when you, are, when you enter the waters of baptism, you aren't saying, I'm dying to sin and I'm raising to newness of life. You're saying, Jesus died to sin for me and I was with him there. When I'm buried in the waters of baptism, it's not saying, hey, 
look what I'm doing, but it's saying, this is showing you what happened to me 2,000 years ago before I was even born. That before I sinned, before I did, had any terrible thoughts, he thought of me and he had me in his heart, in his bosom, whenever he experienced the agonies of Calvary and the death and then he was raised again to newness of life. He broke the power of sin over you and you have, it has no longer has control over you. Now that doesn't mean that as a Christian that I go along and I never sin. That I don't battle with my old self before I was a believer. But what it does say is that the power of that sin over me for me to be enslaved to it is broken because I no longer serve that master. I serve a new master, God Almighty. And all the power of heaven, all the angels that are, belong to his armies, all of the power of the Holy Spirit is all welled up on your side to keep you near his bosom, even whenever you are tempted and tried and pulled away from him. Sin has no con condemnation over you or control over you. It also means that we are, if we are dead to sin, it means that we no longer have any fear of death. We no longer have any fear of death because Christ died for us. He took the penalty so if you're a believer, it doesn't mean that you're not going to die a physical death, but it means that that physical death has lost the sting that it once had because you know that he died that death of separation for you and that you are now united with God in his resurrection life. And so for, here's the amazing truth as you and I as believers. that You know what that means? It means that we as believers, as Christians, are bulletproof. We are literally bulletproof. Some of us in this room uh, have been gripped by fear about the coronavirus. And look, that's understandable. I, I get it. It's, it's enough to weird us all out, right? But here's the power of Christians and has been throughout the centuries is that Christians, hey, it doesn't mean that we're not going to wash our hands a lot. But what it does mean is that even if the worst happens to me and my family, my next, the next thing that I see will be the face of God. Nothing can steal life from you if you're a believer because death could not steal life from Christ and he gives it to you freely as a free gift no questions asked. We are dead to sin. Positively, it says that we are alive to God. It means that we have a different power to control us than sin. 
It means the power of God, of the power of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit, what is resident in us as believers, is within us to control us. It means that we have a different aim to drive us. I'm no longer living for a life for myself or trying to make a name for myself or try to secure my image or do whatever it is that I was enslaved to before. Now I have a different aim, and that is to please God Almighty. I'm dead to sin, but I'm alive to God in Christ Jesus. I have a different power to control me and a different aim that drives me. Something different wakes me up in the morning as a believer. That's freedom there. Keep waking up and not being, just think about this. As a believer, you wake up no longer controlled by an aim that enslaved you, but now you're controlled by an aim to glorify the God that saves you and offers you free grace upon free grace upon free grace. And now a different desire dwells within us. We desire, we are free to live lives that glorify God and seek that he would be glorified and lifted up and not me and not anything else. He says that we are dead to sin and we're alive to God. That, here's the reason that we may walk in newness of life. How can we live, change lives as believers? How can we no longer just live on sinning if God gives us free grace because of all the things that we just talked about. I can't keep on living like I was before I was a believer because I have been changed. Because I am now dead to sin and alive to God. I'm now called to simply live out what has been accomplished, applied, and signified through Christ's burial and resurrection my conversion and my baptism. I'm now called to simply live out what has been accomplished and applied and signified in Christ. By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Again, that doesn't mean that, the, that sin isn't always knocking the door. He's saying this because he's, it's, a, it's a warning and a help that we do not act any longer like those who have not been changed, not been made dead to sin and alive to God. Verse 11, so you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus why do we no longer act the way that we used to? Because Christ has died to sin for me. I am dead to sin in Christ. He sent his Holy Spirit to dwell within me. And now I live alive to God, no longer under the dominion or power of sin, no longer under the condemnation or control of sin, no longer fearing death with a different power to control me, a different aim to drive me and a different desire within me. See, here's what we want as human beings. We want somebody to get up and give us a practical teaching that tells me three steps to, be, here's three ways to kick sin out of your life. Here's three things that you can do tomorrow that will make you no longer sin. Here's, here's four ways to think differently about money. That's what we really want somebody to give. Give me something practical to tell me how I can be a better person. But that's not the way that it works. You guys remember there was a commercial a few years ago uh, where there's some old ladies in the living room and uh, 
she had put, she had gone on a vacation and she put her, her pictures up on the wall. It's like the, the head early, earlier heady days of Facebook. Remember, we had their wall and Facebook and she put the pictures up on the wall and she's like, I posted my pictures from my vacation on the wall. And the lady's sitting on the little chintzy, uh, little chintzy sofa. And she's like, oh, I like that one. I like that one. And the other old lady is saying like, that's not the way this works. That's not the way any of this works. And we want somebody to give me five steps to be a better person three ways to make sure I no longer uh, get angry with my wife, but that's not the way this works. That's not the way any of this works. It works by us seeing the work of Christ done on our behalf. It works on us seeing the amazing, unimaginable, unfathomable love and grace of Christ offered to you that he came and he served you and he served me while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, rescuing us from a life of sin and death and condemnation that we deserved and freely offering us grace and mercy and love and union with himself by his work, by his power. And when we see that, it stirs our souls and our affections to remember. That's what Paul is saying here. Remember. Why would we not be the same as we were before? Because we remember who we were. We remember what he has done. And therefore we live out what he has done for us on our behalf. How do we consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God and Jesus Christ? We see Jesus in his beauty and we continually give ourselves to the one who gave himself for us. You have been rescued from sin and death and brought to Christ. Let's act like it. Not under our own power, but because we remember what he's done and how he's changed us. And if you're here today and you're not a believer in Christ, maybe you've been around church for a while, maybe not. Maybe you're here and you're a skeptic and you're like, man, I've just been trying to listen to you guys and figure out what is, what is this Christianity thing and if I want any part of it. But yet your soul's been stirred this morning as you've been hearing that yes, you as a human being are trapped in sin and death and condemnation, but yet Christ has offered grace and forgiveness and newness of life to you absolutely free of charge. I urge you, take advantage of that this morning. 